0: I've said it many times, so many times, in fact, that it's a tagline for this podcast. Medicine moves fast. In March of 2014, ACOG, along with SMFM, released their Obstetrical Care Consensus. It was number one that actually turned the world of obstetrics upside down because it redefined the labor curve away from Friedman. Now, that was an ACOG or SMFM's data because other researchers, including Zhang, had put that data together years prior. But nonetheless, it changed and redefined how we managed labor. Well, now that obstetrical care consensus number one, that safe prevention of the primary C-section has been withdrawn. Yep, can't get it through ACOG anymore, which is a little odd because you can still get it through the Gray Journal. (laughs) But nonetheless, it is now taken down officially from the college. Why? Well because in January 2024 ACOG is now releasing the obstetrical care consensus number no. 8. This replaces obstetrical care consensus number no. 1 from March of 2014. No no no, we're not rechanging how many centimeters is active labor or some of the rules in second stage. But there is big updates to how we should look at latent labor and the second stage of labor. And they've even thrown in more clarification about the dosage protocol of Pitocin. Do we do the low-dose protocol? Should we do the high-dose protocol? None of that was in that original obstetrical care consensus. Now, we were actually ahead of the game on this. Because you remember, not long ago, we released an episode... Titled How long is too long? The second stage dilemma. Well, this new consensus statement that's coming out next month in January 2024 actually goes into that and explains all of that, which is the same info that we released earlier in our podcast guys, we're ahead of the curve on this. So in this episode, we're going to highlight just the key points here, the key highlighted changes, and the expanded explanations and how we should manage the first and second stage of labor, according to ACOG's new clinical practice guidance, which is Obstetrical Care Consensus Number 8, coming out in January 2024. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Well, 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 what do you know? Mm -mm -mm. Just when you think we'd figured it all out, like labor, yeah, got it. Boom, they withdraw the clinical consensus guideline and then replace it with this one. Actually, super exciting. I mean, this just goes to show that members of the college are working. I'm part of this obstetrical care consensus committee. Which I'm very proud of, and yes, I, I we were I was aware that this was coming out, and to be very clear, when I did that previous episode on how long is the second stage, uh, no secret uh, information was given out that's going to get me in trouble. Right, all of that was free press, knowing what was coming down the pike, and and again, so I have to be very clear: some things we cannot disclose, and and I adhered to that. So I want to be very clear. But knowing that there's a lot of a gaps, there were a lot of a gaps in that obstetrical care consensus number one, uh, specifically around the second stage, we're going to touch on that just a little bit, uh, even though we're not going to rehash our previous episode. But but the big question from that original March 2014 uh, bulletin, which was safe prevention of the primary C-section, is they said, all right, uh, prolonged second stage is after uh two hours of pushing in the multi patient and three hours of pushing in the primary pairs patient with the addition of another hour if maternal fetal condition is okay uh, with regional anesthetics, right? So, okay, we get that. The problem was they didn't say when that pushing should start. Does that make sense? You had to extrapolate that from another uh, study and another statement which said delayed pushing probably not the way to go. So you had to marry those together. We covered all of that and more in our previous episodes. You can go back and listen to that. How long is the second stage? And we referenced great data from one of my uh, prior attendings, um, who's now no longer with us, uh, Dr. Kenneth Levino uh, at UT Southwestern in Parkland. So we we covered all of this in the past, and now in this new January 2024 20, Uh, guidance, it's a little bit more clear about when pushing and when the time clock should begin. But that's on the second stage. Here's how I want to lay this out. I want to focus a little bit on some of the wording regarding the latent phase of labor. Okay, latent hasn't changed. It's still anything under six centimeters. It's still the latent phase. Active phase is still six centimeters to 10. Um, The time clocks for the second stage of labor, to be clear, have not changed uh, but there is some wording here that, that always made people, before this was in there, a little bit of a uncom- little uncomfortable, like, well, I don't know. I mean, is she really stuck? She's taking a long time to go from four to five and then five to six. She's kind of at that threshold of still latent phase, but it's kind of taking forever. Uh, and so now there's some wording that should kind of uh, give us a little bit of peace and ease and education uh, to the patient. This allows us to talk to the patient and go, look, I know you've been five, seems like forever. You're almost there. But here's, here's what the data has shown. So that is helpful. So I want to focus first. We'll talk about the language and the increased explanation surrounding the latent phase, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, amniotomy because that's a that's something new here because. Previously, ACOG had released through its approaches to minimize interventions in labor and delivery uh, that they had stated that you know if somebody's progressing, you can pretty much leave them alone. You don't have to do an amniotomy unless you need to uh, uh, potentially put in amnio infusion, or you cannot get a good read on what is going on with your own activity. Okay, so remember that in the in the ways to minimize interventions in labor and delivery, that statement said you know it's okay you probably don't need an amniotomy. That's kind of changed in this new guidance, especially regarding uh, induction and management of latent phase. Okay, so we're going to talk about latent phase, and we're going to talk about amniotomy any time in labor, but specifically within the latent phase, we'll talk about that, and then I want to talk about of course the new wording around second stage of labor which was our whole topic in our previous episode, right? So that's where we're going. Those are our three buckets. That's the main stuff that we're pulling out of this new obstetrical care consensus. Now, number eight, that first one, which was safe prevention of the primary C-section was number one, okay? Now I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, That, that was number one in 2014 and we're just with number eight Um, like in what is that nine years later, (laughs) almost 10 years later, we've only done eight of these. Wait a minute. Wait, these are obstetrical care consensus. These are different. Then a practice guidelines and those previous committee opinions, those are kind of different things. This obstetrical care consensus uh, waits for a lot of data to, to actually change practice, takes a while. So yeah, if you consider that it's been about nine years slash 10 coming out in January, um, the ACOG releasing eight of these is not bad, guys, honestly. It's like one a year-ish. That's pretty good when you're talking about major shifts in in uh, in clinical guidance, all right? So I think that eight in a 10-year span is pretty darn respectful. I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, And again, I'm proud of the college for doing that. If you had not heard of this, quote, approach to limit interventions during labor and birth, end quote, that committee opinion from the college, if you're like, "I I don't know what he's talking about. Where did that come from? Well, that was back in February 2010. That was committee opinion 766, okay? That's the one where specifically regarding amniotomy it stated, look, we're trying to reduce some interventions here. So if the patient is progressing fine, and this is really more in terms of spontaneous labor. So we have to make a distinction here, all right? Spontaneous labor, she's progressing fine. You have a good uh, fetal tracing. There's no real need to to do an amnio infusion then the the chance that amniotomy is going to help with that is pretty small. So I'm going to be very clear. It's not really in conflict. What we're going to talk about now with new obstetrical care consensus number eight is not in conflict with this previous committee opinion from 2019. Okay, it's not because those are really kind of two different scenarios. One is more spontaneous labor. And the question, wow, do I need to rupture her just to rupture her? Uh, not if she's making good change and you can read the strip well there's no point to do that and then there's this new wording about amniotomy regarding management of course any time in labor but specifically regarding uh, uh latent labor we're going to talk about that here in a minute okay because ACOG now has new uh wording here about the value of amniotomy in the latent phase with induction okay so I'm going to get into that and the question then becomes well do I do it early or do I do it late well even though there's patient situations for everything. And we we do try to minimize interventions when appropriate. There is data that early amniotomy in the induction patient seems to decrease the interval to delivery. Okay, now, obviously, wait a minute, because everyone's, if someone's, I know somebody heard that, they're like, I can't believe you're saying that. You've just committed them to delivery if they're ruptured yeah i mean kind of that's the whole goal but this is part of patient education look if i break your bag of water you can't go home i mean we we are stuck we are in this we are one all of our bets are in uh, we're not folding on this game right so this is all part of of that process and of course you have to take into account Does she have any previous history of infections uh you know what are her desires but in general right remember guys these are guidelines these are in general Spontaneous labor with good cervical change, don't need to put internals, probably don't need to do an amniotomy. However, induction of labor uh, as a way to prevent this prolonged latent phase, which we're going to get into in a minute. uh, One of the things that can be considered, doesn't mean you have to do it, it's a guideline, is early amniotomy. OK, I, I I actually makes me uncomfortable because I hate to have a patient just saying they're ruptured. But but there that is a thing. OK, and we're going to talk about that data here in a minute. But back to 2019 in the committee opinion under routine amniotomy, I mean, it's it's very clear from the college, quote, overall, data suggests that for women with normally progressing labor and no evidence of fetal compromise, Routine amniotomy need not be undertaken unless required to facilitate monitoring, end quote. Now, I would add on there, of course, um, or the need to amniotomy infusion, which in case you, you need to help facilitate monitoring. So th- th- there is some caveats here. And to be very clear, I am not saying that every single patient in labor and delivery, you need to break that bag at one centimeter, no, no, no. It, it's a guideline. Of course, there's caveats to everything. But there is specific wording now in obstetrical care consensus number eight about the value, the potential value of, of having early amniotomy in the game of induction. Wow. All right. So you see how this is why you got to stay on top of things, guys. And I know there's a lot of stuff in our medical press right now about the whole medical groups revolting against uh, MOC. I can't believe you make me read stuff. That's just I read what I want to. I mean, that's basically the vibe of it. Right. And the other vibe is, well, reading stuff doesn't make you a better doctor. No, I get that because being a better doctor takes into account the humanity of medicine, your compassion, your understanding, your ability to actually listen to the patient, not just hear them. Do uh, you see what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, but at least you know the information. So I, I know it sucks. I have to pay that fee as well for the MOC every darn year. Uh, I, I wish that would be less, but I understand where that money goes. And it, no one's making a big profit here, guys. Off that, Let me just be very clear. Uh, that goes into the tools. That goes into the website design. And if it sounds like I'm defending ABOG, I, I am. I think they do a great job. And their their job is to maintain our certification, make sure that people aren't out there doing hokey stuff. Because, guys, here it is shocker. There's stuff that's weird out there. And you're like, what? I've heard it. I mean, I've had patients come in and they say, oh my gosh, they told me to do X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, from, from okay, well, where does that come from? Now, I never throw any physician under the bus with a patient. Don't do that because that's just not professional and you don't know the whole story. But when something is really jacked in terms of information, you have to be a patient advocate and go, you know, I'd like to give you a second opinion on that because as far as I understand the data and I can be happy to show you that, uh, that's not the way to go. What I really want to say is because that's whack, but I don't I don't actually say that. Uh, I say that's not the way to go. Oh oh my goodness, let's get back to what we're talking about. Anyway, so this new obstetrical care consensus number eight, which is titled first and second stage labor management, replaces obstetrical care consensus number one and makes these things a little clearer. Again, we're going to talk about management in the latent phase, how long is too long, what about early amniotomy in this case. Uh, We're going to talk about that issue of amniotomy because it's tied into that. And then, of course, management of the second stage of labor, all right? So not really like a lot of stuff, but it is. So having said that, let's now get into this new wording around the latent phase of labor. In the original obstetrical care consensus number one from 2014, uh, ACOG and SMFM, remember, they do state that a prolonged latent phase alone should not be an indication for cesarean delivery. And they define that as greater than 20 hours in a nulliparous woman or greater than 14 hours in a multip. So, so there they gave at least some time frames that look, hey, it could take a long time in a nulliparous patient, a little bit shorter in a multip. But just because it's taking a while with that, Uh, should not be an indication alone for C-section, okay? So we all get that. However, in the new obstetrical care consensus, while that is still a thing, that a prolonged latent phase of labor should not be a standalone indication for C-section, of course, the wording is now clearer, it's more clear as to when you should get out and even how to diagnose that, okay? Now, um, before I get into that, just a quick word. Remember I said at the intro that when this came out in 2014, uh, and I remember these discussions. I remember that first clinical meeting at the college right after this came out, and people were like, "I can't believe ACOG is changing the the numbers." It's not ACOG; it's the data. ACOG just brought that data to to the highlight, to to the spotlight. But that data had been around. Friedman, of course, was out from the nineteen fifties. Zhang was the one back in twenty ten. It was four years prior to this obstetrical care consensus that said. Um, I don't think Friedman's right anymore. (laughs) So when Zhang put that out again in 2010, that's when the obstetrical um, care consortium came about and said, man, let's take a look at this. I mean, we were doing something that's outdated. So it wasn't ACOG really at all. It was Zhang's data uh, and it it was good data then. It's still good data now. And this is contrast between Friedman and Zhang is very nicely stated in this new January 2024 consensus. Again, it's more academic, just just to kind of give the background of where these changes came in. That is the one that moved the active phase from four centimeters to six uh, and kind of showed that, man, latent phase actually can take a while. All right. So we get that it was Friedman held the the, the reins for a long time uh, out of the data from New York, uh, 1955. Zang comes around in 2010. The obstetrical care uh, consortium comes around and says, I think we need to change this, works together with ACOG, SMFM. And then obstetrical care consensus number one is born. No pun intended. Now that we've had that, now in 2024, we've got a clarification again: We're not redefining labor, but just be very clear that the numbers, the absolute centimeters, is still a thing. Time frames are still a thing, but it's a lot more defined. Okay, so let me tell you about the latent phase of labor. Realizing that the latent phase of labor, when it's spontaneous labor, tends to go faster. When you have to force it into labor, ACOG says it's very well known that the latent phase of labor tends to be a little bit longer with induction compared to spontaneous labor. Uh, how about that? And you're like, well, where, why is that the case? Uh, duh, because you're forcing it into uh, onto the on-ramp when it's not even on the access road, okay? You're like, get on, get on. And it's like, I'm not moving. The car's in park. <laughs> but if the car's already rolling uh, and on the freeway by itself, then obviously latent phase can go faster, all right? So a lot of stuff here around... uh about latent phase of labor as it relates to induction. And let me tell you what these numbers look like. But to be very clear, ACOG states in this new obstetrical care consensus, quote: The latent phase of labor is significantly longer in induced labor compared with spontaneous labor, but the active phase of labor is similar between the two, end quote. Ooh, super helpful, right? What did I say? It's like a parked car trying to get on the highway. If you're inducing it, you got to put the car in drive, get it on the access road, that cervical ripening, and then it's got to get on the highway, and then it's got to go the speed limit. It's got to speed it up. But that's hard to do if it's a parked car. But if it's spontaneous labor, if the car is at least rolling on to the on-ramp by itself, then it can get that momentum going quicker. Guys, yeah if you're thinking did this dude just compare labor to a car getting on the highway i sure did because it makes sense to me in my head i've explained it that way a long time i explain it that way to patients some get it and some just look at me like i'm weird which obviously but nonetheless (laughs) but nonetheless it works for me in my analogy you're so weird (laughs) you're so weird I like how ACOG now gave us some time frames of, on average, of how long it could take patients to to cross that threshold to active labor, okay? Now, I've been there many times and super frustrating when they're like four centimeters, five centimeters, and they're not moving. I'm like, just move, go, move. You're like, you're so close to six, Ugh, and the residents, you know, somebody surely will always go, I, I, she's almost six. Well, almost is not six. I mean, you've got to be six. That's why the rules to define latent and active. Uh, but that frustration is real. And now ACOG says, relax, hey, relax. If, if the patient is stable, the baby is stable, hold on a minute something is going to happen if we just let it go. So here's what ACOG states about some possible, not an everybody, possible as a general overview, some time frames of how long it takes to, to make that transition. Quote, the normal latent phase of labor varies widely among individuals, regardless of parity. ACOG continues in saying, quote, labor may take more than six hours to progress from four to five centimeters of dilation and more than three hours to progress from five centimeters to six, end quote. Now, let's stop here for a minute. Wow. Okay. I mean, that makes me feel a lot better when you just you're like, what is wrong? I mean, is your uterus broken, woman? What is happening? M- you're so close. Move. And then we start thinking something's wrong. She's never going to get out of this latent phase, but they will. So did y'all get that? ACOG states, based on the data, in general, it could take six hours to go from four to to five centimeters, and more than three hours to go from five to six centimeters. Do you see why Why calling it active labor at four centimeters like Friedman did was wrong? Oh my gosh, how many people got C-section in the past because they were stuck at four? They were still latent phase. The data now shows it could take hours. It doesn't have to, but it could. And so ACOG continues to say, the, quote, the median latent phase duration in nola paris Patients. Now, this is NOLIPs. Remember, those are the ones who have no practice at all. They're totally labor naive. ACOG says the median latent phase duration in NOLIPs can go anywhere from 0.6 hours, like half an hour, to six hours based on that initial cervical exam finding. So, in other words, be patient. And ACOG continues to say, quote, the most conservative estimate for the 95th percentile for duration between admission and active phase, in other words, the, the length of the latent phase in nullips, okay, so multiples is something else, but in nullips is around 16 hours. So a prolonged latent phase may be defined as longer than 16 hours in a nullip. Guys, did y'all hear that? Because so if you're driving in the car, like what, what do you say? Don't 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 go back. Keep your eyes on the road. I'm going to tell you again. Remember what we mentioned just a little bit ago that in 2014, ACOG said that a prolonged latent phase should be greater than 20 hours in a nulliparous patient. Remember that? I Because mean, that's what it said. And in the multiple, uh, you could actually cut that down a little bit and use 14 hours as prolonged. But now, according to January's 2024, let me read it again. Quote, a prolonged latent phase in Enola can be defined as longer than 16 hours. End quote. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody at 16 hours needs to be cut. Okay, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. But that's a big change here. Okay, so latent phase is still up to six centimeters. That's not changed. But what, what has changed is is some of the the um, ability to let patients just sit by themselves at 4 centimeters, 5 centimeters until they get to 6 because it could take hours. However, overall, based on the data, if they haven't really gotten out of the latent phase by 16 hours, then that's considered prolonged. Now, here's another big whopper. Remember that 2014, 20 hours primip, 14 hours in multip. But listen to this wording and this new explanation uh, in coming out January 2024, um, quote, some data indicate that there may be differences by parity in the rate of dilation before six centimeters, end quote. Let me stop there. R- right? So, hey, primips go at a certain rate in latent phase. Multips go at a different rate um, in the latent phase. That's what it's saying. That's that's what some data indicate. But listen to this clarification, quote, but generally consideration of latent phase length has not been stratified by parity, quote. In other words, yeah, we, we, it makes sense that primates would take longer, like maybe 20 hours or more and multip should be le- you know greater than 14 hours. Um, but that's not really what the data show. It's just all kind of latent phase and just kind of let them do something by themselves unless you have certain criteria. And I'm gonna tell you that next. So ACOG states, quote, it's important to note that most pregnant women with prolonged latent phase, ultimately will enter active phase with expected management, end quote. So, are we still using 20 hours in a prime and then 14 hours in a multip? Not really, because according to this wording, latent phase is just kind of the latent phase. It doesn't really matter if you're prime or not. It's just kind of, you're just kind of not there yet. And it can take a while for everyone. So, the question is, does latent phase last longer for a prime or a multip? Uh, no, it just takes long because they're in latent phase, period. Okay, so that's the vibe here. Knowing, of course, that induced labor can have a longer latent phase than spontaneous labor. That's true. But then once they're active, whether it's spontaneous labor or induced, the rate of change should be the same. Okay, so prime up or multip latent phase, really no difference. Or just late. just call it latent phase. And in general, the, here's the guideline of when you can say, "I think we're going to be out." Uh, or you can do expectant management, the maternal and fetal condition agrees, okay? So what do we know? Who takes longer in the latent phase? Those being induced. Not necessarily a primate, just those being induced. And then once they hit the active phase, the speed of labor between induced and spontaneous tends to be about the same, okay? So ACOG, let's just wrap this up here because there's a lot of stuff, uh, and I hope that makes sense, uh, about the latent labor. And then our next part is going to be, where does amniotomy fit in with that, okay? But here it is. So ACOG says, quote, Cesarean delivery performed for a prolonged latent phase in the setting of reassuring maternal and fetal status should be avoided. End quote. So let's stop there. So just because you hit 16 hours, um, if there's nothing else going on, that's not enough to get out. Okay. However, in patients who are undergoing induction, failed induction of labor can be diagnosed when there's no progression in the latent phase with a certain caveat. Now, I'm gonna give you that in a minute. So I'm gonna be very clear. Once again, spontaneous labor, you shouldn't do a C-section in the latent phase if maternal and fetal condition are stable and okay. Okay, it says uh, that C-section should be avoided. However, quote, among patients undergoing induction of labor, failed induction of labor, which should be the preferred terminology uh, when there's no progression in latent phase, can be done when there's a certain criteria met. Okay, so lots of big clinical pearls here. The first is you cannot call it failure to progress in latent phase. Please don't do that. I mean that's not new. That's that's always been a thing. You don't have failure to progress. You have this. You have dystocia, labor dysfunction in the latent phase. That's okay. But don't say uh, arrest of dilation or failure to descend in the latent phase. And ACOG states that the correct term, if you if you're going to get out among patients who are being induced. Okay, if you'd be inducing somebody latent phase meets this next criteria that I'm about to tell you, then the term is failed induction of labor, not failure to progress. All right, so what we've just covered is the updated clarification of the latent phase of labor overall. All right. Um, because ACOG now makes that distinction that or lack of distinction rather between tips and nolips, and just says, look, give it enough time and it should do something. Although a, if you're going to give it a time limit, then just call it uh, greater than 16 hours as prolonged and call it a day. All right, now, remember we said we're going to talk about how this relates to induction of labor since we all know and the data suggests and has shown that induced labor has longer latent phase than spontaneous. We've already said that, right? So now let's tie these things in together because that's going to lead us in into our next topic for discussion, which is early versus late amniotomy. Okay, But before we get into that one, let's just wrap this up with the management of the latent phase of labor and when you can say, hey, this has failed and I think we need to be done. So under this new obstetrical care consensus number eight, under the subheading of induced labor, it states, quote, if the maternal and fetal status remain reassuring, cesarean delivery for failed induction of labor in the latent phase can be avoided by recommending that oxytocin be used for at least the 12 to 18 hours. Again, let's just stop there for a minute. That's not new. That was in the in the regular March 2024 guideline. So allowing pitocin to be used for 12 to 18 hours and having membranes ruptured for that time. In other words, if you're going to say failed induction in the latent phase, again, the guideline is 12 to 18 hours giving Pitocin and having 12 to 18 hours after membrane rupture. That's what you need. That's the criteria before deeming the induction unsuccessful. Okay, so spontaneous labor, we know what protector labor is, that's greater than 16 hours. But if you're doing an induction before you say that trial of induction is unsuccessful, remember in the latent phase, that's 12 to 18 hours of Pitocin use after membrane rupture has occurred, which now enters into our next part, which is early amniotomy. Remember, we just talked about the previous 2019 committee opinion, which said, hey, if they're progressing normally, then just leave them alone. Okay, well, that's if they're progressing normally. But with an induction, there is evidence that early amniotomy, even in the latent phase, guys, along with Pitocin, shortens time to delivery. So ACOG states, quote, multiple studies have investigated the use of amniotomy compared with no intervention or other interventions or as an adjuvant to other interventions during spontaneous labor and induction of labor. It goes on to say, amniotomy in spontaneous labor decreases the total duration of time in labor for nullips without significantly increasing the risk for cesarean delivery, maternal infection, hemorrhage, or trauma to the pelvic floor. And it goes on to say that neonatal outcomes are, are not the worse for doing that. So when we talk about early versus late amniotomy, there is a place for amniotomy even with spontaneous labor because it does decrease the time to delivery notice that's different than the 2019 committee opinion and for induction it does state under early compared with late amniotomy that quote amniotomy has also been investigated in patients undergoing induction of labor Multiple studies have shown shorter time intervals to delivery in those who have had early amniotomy. ACOG then references a 2020 systematic review that took a look at this very thing early versus late amniotomy in patients undergoing induction after cervical ripening with either a Foley catheter or prostaglandins at any dose. All right. Now, this was a systematic review of four trials that included over 1,200 patients and this systematic review showed that early compared to late amniotomy or even spontaneous rupture of membranes had a shorter interval from induction to delivery listen to this guys of about 5 hours 5 hours Zoo wee mama 5 hours is pretty darn impressive i mean if it was 30 minutes no one's going to say anything about that uh even at an hour they're like yeah this is an hour big deal it is if you're in labor but this actually showed a difference of five hours. That's a lot, guys. So, remember the approaches to minimize interventions in labor and delivery? They're like, I don't know, do you really need to do an amniotomy? Well, now we spring forward to January 2024, and ACOG says, quote, there is high-quality evidence to recommend early amniotomy as adjuvant to the labor process to decrease time to delivery without increasing the cesarean delivery rate or other maternal or neonatal complications, end quote. Well, so there you go. All right, podcast family. So we've taken a look at latent labor and the criteria for calling that a failed induction, not spontaneous labor, but a failed induction, which is 12 to 18 hours, latent phase, ruptured membranes, and Pitocin use for at least 12 to 18 hours after that, all right? And so, again, it would go that if you're going to call it a failed induction in the latent phase, you have to have rupture. So that's where amniotomy comes in, early amniotomy, even in the latent phase Uh, together with oxytocin seems to have a place so that if there is no progress, you have already put it on the clock for that 12 to 18 hours so you can say unsuccessful induction, okay? Uh, and, And remember that there is evidence in spontaneous and in induced labor, either in the latent as well as the active phase, that amniotomy can actually decrease the time to delivery based on that systematic review from 2020, about five hours. That's a big deal. All right, now that we've covered that, let's finish up the episode with a quick recap on the second stage, which we talked about in a previous episode called How Long is Too Long? All right, because remember, just as a a refresher, uh, that the previous March uh, 2014, 2014 Obstetrical uh, Care Consensus number 1, said that it should be, you know, greater than two hours in a multigravita of pushing, three hours in a NOLIP with pushing, extended potentially another hour with regional anesthetics if the condition allows. However, it said of pushing, but it didn't really say when pushing should begin, Okay well now it does so now coming in january 2024 that language is a lot clearer as compared to what it was in march 2014 2014 so let's get into that last section of the episode now all right podcast family before we get into our last little section here of the episode which deals with the second stage of labor Look, I, I, please in all humility, trust me, this is coming from a from a good place, but uh, I have to say I'm so proud of our work here uh, with the with the podcast because we called it we called it before the January 2024 new obstetrical care consensus is coming out. We called that weeks ago that there was this ambiguity with the 2014 original uh, consensus statement that it said, uh, you know, two hours or three hours based on your primary promo tip of pushing, but it didn't really say about immediate pushing. So we, we dealt with that and we were way ahead of the curve when we released that previous episode. So don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but yep, we called it ahead of schedule. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think this party's a big hit in that previous podcast episode that we did we reviewed how you know it's kind of interesting how we put the patient on the clock right when she's at second stage but that's not even accurate I mean that's when we have diagnosed her with second stage based on our last cervical exam and we covered this in that last episode um we don't know when she really turned it Ten centimeters i mean she could have been 10 for an hour we just hadn't checked her um or she could have just turned 10 centimeters as we we're checking her right so there's some some uh in- inconsistency some inaccuracy here with calling somebody 10 but we can only do what we can do which is diagnose her as complete dilation when we check her um and that's what's been some of the criticism with this is man unless you're doing a cervical exam every hour which is totally uncomfortable and totally uncalled for, uh, plus potentially raises the risk of infection, at least in theory, because of repeat examination. Uh, We don't know when she got to be 10 for real. We know when we found her to be 10, but unless there's a little device that gets put into the vajayjay and then you know, kind of goes off like an alarm and says, hey, I'm 10 centimeters now. The best that we can do is, is find her at 10 centimeters without really knowing when she actually got there. Does that make sense? See, so I think that's a brilliant future use of AI. If somebody could create a little vaginal timer slash evaluator that when that patient became 10 centimeters, uh, I mean, like a little alarm went off. Uh, That would be fantastic. Well, I just got my brilliant idea, so nobody steal it from me. I I will call this the CVAS. How about that? C-V-A-S. Anyone? Any takers? That is the Choppa Vaginal Alarm System. Yep, just put that right up there and put there into the vajuju, and then, bam, 10 centimeters, bam. Alarm goes off. You're 10. Second stage begins. And now that you are in the second stage, it's time to start pushing. No more delayed. Okay, so remember, this was the big beef that we covered in that previous episode on how long is the second stage, because ACOG had always recognized, uh, you know, the time limit for pushing, but didn't really say immediate pushing. That was extrapolated from another uh, committee opinion, which was that one from 2019 about delayed intervention, because... First, it had stated, yeah, delayed pushing, that'd be legit. Let's let her make the decision. And then they're like, oh my gosh, that actually increases rates of infection and postpartum hemorrhage. So let's not do that. So remember, ACOG does favor immediate pushing. We talked about that in our previous episode. But because it wasn't in that March 2014, Uh, that original uh, uh, obstetrical care consensus, there was a little bit of confusion. Well, that is now gone. All right. So now in January 2024, regarding management of the second stage of labor, it is very clear that based on that data, that when a patient is found to be 10 centimeters, when she's found to be complete, ACOG does say that uh, immediate pushing is, is the way to go. And it's not just for nullips. It states, even though we don't have a lot of data on gravitas, it is not uh, thought to be any different between a gravita and a gravita. So once there are 10, barring some other weird, you know, issue, like she can't feel a darn thing because her uh, block is, is is too much, it's too dense, then immediate Pushing should commence. So once again, it's very strong. And it says here, this is based on high quality evidence, strong recommendation from the college, quote, ACOG recommends that pushing commence when complete cervical dilation is achieved, end quote. I personally would have said when complete cervical dilation is documented because you don't really know when it's achieved because that little CVAS system does not yet exist. So uh, you see all these kind of little, um, not really huge changes, but more clarification, I guess. The biggest change really is uh, has to do with amniotomy and this wording now that's that's not left for interpretation. It's very clear. 10 centimeters, push. Now, if, you're, if your block is too dense, turn that down, but push. Push, all right, so no longer is delayed pushing recommended. Now, that's not new. That was back again in 2019 with the revised committee opinion. Uh, that was the ways, approaches to minimize interventions, labor and delivery that first called for delayed and then they, they took that out and then said, no, it's immediate pushing. And ACOG's very clear in this, whether they're primary or multips, uh, immediate pushing once the patient is found to be 10 centimeters is the way to go. Okay, So we've covered things with the latent phase of labor, twelve to eighteen, membranes ruptured, pitocin, then that's a failed induction if they're stuck. We now know certain amounts of hours of how long it can actually take for uh, for a patient to change between, uh, 4 centimeters and 5 centimeters, 5 centimeters to 6. It can actually take a while. So don't give up on them. Keep them going. But if she's ruptured in the latent phase and you're at that 12 to 18-hour mark, or let's call it the upper limit, 18 hours, then shared decision-making can be done with the patient to go, look, you're still in the latent phase. We're, we're kind of uh, at the uh, our backs are against the wall here. You meet criteria to call this a failed induction uh, you're, because you're still under 6 centimeters. What would you like to do? All right, so that is part of shared decision-making after the upper limit recommendation of 18 hours in the latent phase with continuous oxytocin with membranes ruptured. And then, of course, we talked about early amniotomy compared to late. ACOG says, yeah, there's a role for early amniotomy, especially uh, with induction of labor, but it even helps spontaneous labor decrease that overall time to delivery based on the date about five hours. That's a whopper. That's pretty hard to, to argue against. And then we've wrapped up right now talking about the, the wording of second stage immediate pushing. So now you don't have to extrapolate. Um, it, it is right there under the management of the second stage of labor. Guys, we we were ahead of that. Again, I we covered that before this came out about that, that lack of clarity with how long is too long uh, in the second stage because of that lack of wording between delayed pushing and immediate. Now we have that, that at 10 centimeters, once that's achieved, then immediate pushing is to begin. All right, everyone, this brings us to a wrap. We have just summarized the big key points here for ACOG's clinical practice guidance, which is Obstetrical Care Consensus number eight, replacing Obstetrical Care Consensus or OCC number one back in March 2014. This is coming out January 2024, uh, and we've covered it just now. All right, everyone, let's bring this to a close. podcast family, we really do get a lot of joy. We get a lot of fulfillment in bringing these hot off the press topics to you. We hope you found it helpful. Send us a message. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'd like to stay in contact with all of our family uh, uh, virtually uh, who's connected through the podcast. So that's it for us. That's a wrap. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.